Did you have a place that you went to when you were scared or when you felt insecure as a child? Maybe a special room or a location. Um, I had a place like that when I was growing up. We lived in Topeka, Kansas when I was a child. And, and uh, the room that I would go to that I felt secure and safe in was our family room in our basement. For whatever reason, uh, I could go there and I just felt like nothing bad would happen to me uh, when I was in that place. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, my parents began to see an opportunity that they could leave me a home alone. And so they would take opportunities to run errands or maybe go out and have an evening together and uh, leave me at home. And so when they would do that, initially anyway, they'd say, okay, you can't go outside and play. You need to stay in the house. Uh, you shouldn't come to the door and answer the door if somebody comes to the door. Don't answer the phone. You know, just kind of hide out basically in the house. And so when they would initially go do those kinds of things, you know where I went in that house? I went to the family room in the basement because I felt safe and secure in that place. And so that was kind of that place for me to go. I can also remember uh, in the same location, one winter afternoon, um, there's quite a bit of snow on the ground in Topeka at that time. And I was playing with my best friend, a neighbor who lived across the street, John. And you know how boys are at that age. We throw snowballs at each other. And then after a while, we get tired of doing that, so we throw snowballs at the garage door. We throw snowballs at the light lanterns. You know, you just figure different things to do. And so we ended up in our backyard, kind of bored, figuring out what we were going to do. And our house backed up to a very busy street in Topeka. It's kind of like if a house would back up to, say, Ohio Street. And so from my backyard on our on my patio, we had a six-foot privacy fence. And you could, if you were on your tippy-toes, you could just barely see the cars in the road below. And so we came up with this idea to see if we could throw the ball, the snowballs far enough to get to the other side of the road. And so, you know, we challenge each other and we throw snowballs across the road. And sure enough, we've got the arm power, the strength to do that. And we got bored of doing that after a while. And so my friend came up with a really, really cool idea. Not a really good idea if you're a kid, but you know, at the time we thought it was a great idea. He goes, let's see how high we can throw it and see if we can time it so that it lands on a car that's driving by at the same time. Okay. So we're throwing, and we're not very good, so we're not hitting any cars. And then all of a sudden, he throws one really high, and we watch it come down, and there's a really nice El Camino that's coming down the road, and bam, right on the hood of this car, snowball hits, and the car just lays on the brakes. I mean, the tires are squealing as the car is coming to a stop. You can see smoke coming off these tires. And we, like, drop down on the fence, and we're looking at each other like, you know, we're in trouble now. And so... uh you know, being good kids that we were, we went to the front of the house to wait for the guy. No, we didn't. We ran in the house. <laughs> and I said to my friend, let's go to the family room in the basement because that's the secure place, the safe place. Now they never figure out who did it. But I've been carrying that around in my conscience my whole life. And so I had to confess that sin to you. So while that room in my house made me feel safe, uh, I realized that there are many things that happen in life and happen in the world that a family room in a basement can't protect me from. And so ultimately there are very few things uh, today in our world that will make us feel safe and secure from every situation and every problem that comes our way. And so the question I want us to ask today is, what do we do when trouble comes? In other words, how do we respond? How do we react? Where do we turn when trouble comes our way? The psalmist is declaring in this passage, in verse 1, he says, God, our God, is a refuge, a strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He's basically saying our God is like no other. Here's the great things about God. He's our refuge, he's our strength, and he's an ever-present help in trouble. 
And our, our text is offering suggestions on how we can view God in times of trouble and in times of great challenge. If you want to make it through tough times, if you want to make it when trouble comes, we've got to remember that God is for us. And in those situations, we need to understand that he is still God and he is our protector. What a profound statement in verse 1. God is our refuge. In other words, we can say God is our safe place, a safety zone. He's a shelter in a time of storm. I don't know about you, but I've had some storms in my life. I've had some times where I wasn't quite sure if I was going to make it. Sometimes when I wasn't quite sure if I was coming or going or which way was up and which way was down. But in the midst of those trials, it was sure great to know that I had a refuge that I could turn to. I'm glad that I have a place of shelter. And so not only does the text inform us that he's our refuge, but Psalm 91 tells me this. He says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. For he is my refuge and my fortress, and him will I trust. What I'm trying to say is that I have a secret place. I've got a shelter. It's so much better than a room and a basement. And when things get bad, I can run to this place. I can run to God because he is my refuge. Because that's where he can keep me. Where literally, if things are very challenging, very difficult, difficult, it feels like when I run to the shelter of God, that literally it's like God is holding me in his loving and caring arms and protecting me. Now, maybe still some bad things are happening, but it's a sense of security that in God, ultimately things will be okay. And everybody ought to have a secret place. When trouble comes your way, just remember that he is still our God. He is our protector. And he invites us to run to the secret place, to run to his shelter, and to remember that he is our protector. And then we realize that the Lord covers us in those times of despair, and he is our haven. He is our sanctuary. In that place we we can find a sweet relief from whatever we're experiencing in life. I believe that that's what Martin Luther was trying to describe when he wrote this great hymn called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He's saying that God is this only this place. God is the one who can literally shield us and protect us. And he wrote that great hymn right out of Psalm 46. Not only is the Lord our refuge, but likewise we see that he is our strength. He's our refuge and our strength. The word and is a conjunction that literally connects Uh, refuge and strength together. And so we can say God is our refuge. We can also say God is our strength. And those two things are true. But when we say God is our refuge and our strength, that is more true than the two apart from each other. God is our refuge and our strength. And why does the Lord protect us in those times in trouble? He protects us, I believe, not to hide us, but to help us. He gives us a shelter not to pamper us, but to prepare us for a battle. He gives us refuge in order to get us ready for what's coming next. And how does he do that? By giving us an infusion of his strength. By infusing us with his strength, we're able to stand in the midst of any trouble or trial that comes our way. It's a little bit like weight training. I've done a little bit of weight training, but not a lot, you can tell. So... But I've learned a little bit. You know, when you lift weights, when you push up against the resistance of that that weight, and you do it often enough, you start to build bigger and bigger muscles. And so the more your muscles are built, the bigger the weights you can lift, the more frequently you can lift, and it builds, continues to work like that. 
It's the same way in a spiritual sense. When we go through trials and challenges, it's like God is training our spiritual muscles. He's training us to learn how to trust in him in greater and greater ways. And so when we go through smaller trials, we gain some spiritual muscle of trusting God and seeing his power, his strength at work in and through us. And then he prepares us for the bigger spiritual battles that are going to be coming later on. So God is our strength. He's our refuge. But most of all, he is our help. He's not just our help, but I believe that the text says he's an ever-present help. The word present literally means he is found to be helpful. But not only is he found to be helpful, he has been found to be helpful. It's both a present tense, but also something that has been proven over time. So that's why the the Bible's translated an ever-present help. He's a God who helps We can see him helping in our past history, but he's a God who also is present to help us today. The the psalmist is literally calling up God's faithfulness in the history of Israel. And one of the things that would have come to their mind immediately as they look at this verse is to think about how God brought the Israelites out of their bondage to the Egyptians, out of slavery to the Egyptians, and he brought them into a promised land. He freed them. The word present affirms to us the fact that we serve a right-now God. It means that the Lord's help is immediately available to us whenever we are in crisis. The word crisis literally means a turning point in our life. It's like all this, whatever's happening in our life, it's applying pressure, and we don't know what the outcome will be, the future of our life, and so it becomes like a turning point. And the the world, with all of its splendor, offers us all kinds of points of crisis, turning points financially, physically, uh, emotionally. And furthermore, the world wants to offer us solutions and answers. But my experience is that the world can't always deliver in those moments of crisis, in those difficult times. But the God I serve, the God I worship, is not a God who just did wonderful things in the past but is not doing anything currently. And likewise, he's not a God that's going to do great things in the future but does nothing for me today. He is a very present and a helpful God. He's a right now kind of God. He's a present tense God. He can walk right onto the scene of our lives and make a difference right now. I heard someone say he's an on-time God. I like that. He's an on-time God. You know, when I talked with Dave and Ann Newcomer about the situation with their daughter, Nara, uh, there was quite a bit of anxiety yesterday, I mean, uh, Friday especially, uh, and they didn't know which way this was going to go, and they were very, very concerned. But Dave, in the midst of all that, said, we're praying and we're trusting that God will work and God will show himself. When I spoke to them last night and heard the news that she had made quite a bit of improvement and things were looking up and, and they're very hopeful for a recovery, uh, Dave wanted me to affirm. He said, you know what? God has done some great things. We've seen him do great things in the last 24 hours. And he said, in fact, the nurse that took care of our daughter Last night, which would have been Friday night, the first night she was in the hospital, she came back on Saturday night to take care of Nara again, and she couldn't believe how much Nara had improved in just 24 hours. She said she'd never seen anyone improve that much in that kind of a situation before. And Dave said, we told her, hey, we believe in a God who's at work in our world, in our lives, and we believe in the power of prayer, the power of God at work through our prayers. So the Lord, our God, he is a right now God. He is, a re- he is our refuge. He's our strength. He's an ever-present help. 
in times of trouble. And because he's our refuge and our strength and our help, look at what verses 2 and 3 tell us. We don't have to fear even though the earth be moved, though mountains will be dumped into the sea, though waters are troubled, though the mountains shake. When it all seems like everything's falling down all around us, we can go to God for comfort and for strength and for refuge. These powerful destructive images that the psalmist is talking about, he's literally talking about earthquakes and tsunamis and landslides, massive things. And he's saying, hey, those things are real in this physical world. And yet we can still declare a confident trust, even if these things happen. We can declare a confident trust in our God, the God of creation, the God who is more powerful than these natural forces are. Literally, our world can be falling down around us, and yet we can still worship and trust in our God because of who he is and what he has done and what he will, he's promised he will do for us. You've got to remember that he's still God. He's our protector. And not only that, when trouble comes, we need to remember that he is still God and he is our provider. In ancient times, the rivers that were, were, uh, were valuable resources to the cities uh, in those ancient days, and they were essential to sustaining people's lives because oftentimes that's what helped with the agriculture of the day and facilitated trade with other cities. But the problem was is that, that Jerusalem did not have a river that was flowing through it or next to it. Its only water supply was the spring of Jihon, and that fed a stream called Shalom. And knowing that their enemies, when they were in battle, would often try to cut off their water supply, one of the kings of Israel, King Hezekiah, beat them to the punch, and so he closed off the springs on the outside of the city, and he channeled the water through underground tunnels. And you can still see those tunnels today if you go to Jerusalem. And so even though they were under attack, Jerusalem could still have water flowing on the inside that the enemy could not see and and could not get to. And the Lord was in the midst of that underground resource, and he provided what was needed to them. As I continue to experience life, my experience tells me I'm learning more and more and more each day that the Lord has also provided a river. It's not real physical water, but it's a river of life. He's given us a river for times of crisis. And just like Jerusalem's river, it's flowing on the inside of us. You see, the Lord has provided us with his living water. It's, it's literally described throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jeremiah uh, 17:13 says, "God the Father is the fountain of living water." John in his gospel adds commentary by letting us know that Jesus in chapter 4 that Jesus is the fountain of living water. And Jesus himself describes in John uh, chapter 7 that the Holy Spirit is the river of living water. And the great thing is, the great news is is that the God has placed the Holy Spirit within us. God's very presence dwells within us when we give our life, commit our life to Christ, and allow him to be our Lord and our Savior. God places a deposit of his very presence, his Holy Spirit, inside of our being, and God's living water literally resides within us. And I would encourage us that we need to make sure that we tap into the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we tap into the Holy Spirit, God will allow the Spirit to supply your every need. Paul says in Philippians 4.19, he says, My God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. 
And too often we try to depend on the outside resources to bring satisfaction or to bring resolution. Things like money and prestige and our own ability and activity and material stuff and entertainment and and all these things, eventually they can all be cut off. They can be lost. But the good news from heaven is that even if you lost all of those things today on the outside, your health, your money, your prestige, you would still have a river that's flowing from within your own being, the presence of God. You still have the Holy Spirit. And God invites us to tap into that source, to tap into the things of God, and to remember that He's still God. He's our protector. He's our provider. And finally, we need to remember that God is for us. And if God is for us, again, in those times of trouble, in those times of crisis, he's still God. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Circumstances don't change who God is. He's still God, and he's the proven one. The glorious thing about this point is is that if you realize he's the proven one during a time of crisis, You can do two things, at least two things. One is we can take time to reflect on his power, even in the midst of trouble, even when we don't know what God is going to do, just to take time and reflect, to look back and think, what has God done for me? How have I seen God move in my life or in the lives of others over time? Look at verses 8 and 9. The psalmist says, come and see the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He's inviting us to reflect on God's power. He says, come, see, behold, the wondrous works of the Lord. The many times he's brought you through danger, seen and and unseen. Come and behold the goodness of the Lord. Reflect on how God has given you victory in the past, reflect on how he's brought you out of times of the storm. And the psalmist and the Israelites, when they read this verse, when they sang it, they would have immediately thought again of their deliverance from the bondage of the Egyptians. They were slaves with no hope, no power, no authority to change the circumstances except by the mighty power of God. And God went to work on their behalf. He brought plagues on uh, the Egyptians and on Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And all the plagues, Pharaoh, could not, his, his will did not break until the very last plague when God released the spirit of death and all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were killed and all the firstborn sons of the Hebrews were saved, the first Passover. And then Pharaoh's will was finally broken and so he set God's people free. He let them go and they left. And then Pharaoh changed his mind, didn't he? And as they had left, he sent his army his soldiers, his chariots, his horses, to go after the Hebrews who were defenseless. They didn't have resources to defend themselves. And literally it felt like they were going to be trapped up against the Red Sea. And what did God do? He separated the waters. He allowed the Israelites to go through. And then as the Pharaoh's army pursued them through the waters, God brought the waters back down and he brought them crashing and destroyed all of Pharaoh's army. You see, the Israelites, they could remember Things like this and other kinds of situations where God had shown himself his power and provided for them. And so they could remember how God demonstrated his power. And in what ways, in what ways has God demonstrated his power to you? I would invite you this morning, 
I think it's good for us to, to have those things in our memory. And I would encourage you, go home this afternoon. Take out a sheet of paper and, and just write down three things, three ways you've seen God at work in your life, in your history, or maybe in the life of someone you know. It's good to have those things so that we can remember, especially when we come to a, a time of trial, we can hold on to those things and see, look, remember when I had that trial and how God worked in my life? And I'm in the midst of this trial. I don't know how God's going to provide, but I trust God is faithful. God will demonstrate his power again in this situation. Remember that he hasn't brought you this far to leave you. You see, as we begin to reflect on his goodness, he'll begin to revive your spirit. He'll begin to rejuvenate your will to go on. He'll, he'll help you to endure whatever new trial you face. And as a result, you can say what Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can get through whatever adversaries I might be dealing with or facing. All we have to do is to reflect on his power. All I have to do is remember what he's done in times past. The second thing, beyond reflecting on his power, is to rest on his power. Look at verses 10 and 11. God is speaking through the psalmist. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We're called to rest in his power. It says, Be still. It literally means to take your hands off of whatever you're holding on to. Be still and let God do what God does best. Be still and watch God move on your behalf. The term be still and and know that I am God, it comes right behind the verses where it's describing how God desires to end all wars and bring an end to all the conflicts. It's, It's like God is breaking into the midst of these great conflicts with a command on the battlefield that everyone cease, desist. It's like a a military command that says, attention, stop what you're doing. Give me your attention. He calls all the combatants to stop their fighting and pay attention. It's only when they stop their struggles can they acknowledge that the Lord is God. He says, I will be exalted before all present, before all the nations, over all the earth. I don't know if you're like me, but often when I'm in the midst of a crisis, and I can't see God providing an immediate response that, that I think is helpful, I have a tendency uh, to think that things need to be done sooner or better or quicker. And what do I end up doing? I end up taking God's hands off of the steering wheel of my life, and I try to put my hands back on it because I think something needs to happen sooner. And my experience when I do that, when I fail in that way, is that things go from bad to worse. Usually things don't go better. And it's an issue, when I struggle in that way, it's an issue of me trusting in God. And literally, in some ways, I'm wrestling or I'm fighting with God over who, who's going to be in control in my life and in these circumstances. And I'm removing God from the throne of my life and from my world. And it's in that context that God is telling us. He's saying, be still. Stop doing what you've been doing. Stop trying to take control of your life. Stop trying to do what you're doing before you hurt someone or you hurt yourself. Literally, these are situations that we think we might have some control over, but most of the time, if it's a significant crisis, we generally don't have very much control. And so in a way, God's saying, inviting us to say, hey, be still and worship me as God, the creator over everything that you see. Stop wrestling for control and give me the attention and the worship that is mine alone. Trust in me alone, not in your own feeble and mortal capabilities. 
Place your trust in the only one who can actually do anything worthwhile in this broken and suffering and messed up world. And he's asking us, will you let me be the Lord of your life? Will you let me show you my power and my provision for your life? Will you worship me in the good times and in the bad times and even the worst times? Am I still going to be your God? You see, he invites us. He says, be still. Be still and watch God move. Be still and know that he is still God. Be still and know that he is with us. Be still and know that he will be exalted. When we bring ourselves to be still and to know that God is our refuge and our strength and our help, we can be confident because the Lord God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Paul says in the New Testament, this is the way he puts it. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? His answer is nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can separate us from the presence of God. Jesus even says at the end of Matthew's gospel, I am with you always, always, even to the very end of the age. The Lord God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble, that you are our refuge, that you are our strength, that, that we can turn to you for resources that we and ourselves in this world cannot supply, that in the midst of a storm and, and a trial that we can come to you and we can have a sense of peace and confidence that you have our best in mind and that you are at work in our lives and in our world. God, help us to continue to build our spiritual muscles of trust, to learn to trust you in the small things, the bigger things, and even the toughest of things, and to know that you love us. You've been faithful. You are faithful. You will continue to be faithful. God, we are so thankful for the ways that you have been faithful, and we pray that we might continue to grow, to be your disciples to demonstrate our trust in you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.